you have a prepaid call. You will not be I'm Anna Dalvey, and this is the Anna Dalvey Show. You might recognize my name as a character in the Netflix series, but now you get to meet the real me. On this show, I will dive into the concept of rules and talk with the people who create or break them. From art, politics, fashion, tech, finance, law, and more, the Anna Delvey Show will share honest, unfiltered conversations that will question traditional notions of what's right and wrong, all recorded in my East Village apartment in New York while on house arrest. I'm really excited to be hanging out with Whitney Cummings. She's such a character and a leader in her industry. I wanted to find out where the two align. How can she be so self-deprecating while accomplishing so much? She's also had a unique relationship with cancel culture, being in multiple sides of it. Thank you so much, Whitney. Thank you so much for agreeing to be my guest. So Whitney Cummings is a comedian, actress, producer, writer, and director. Anything else I left out? Podcast host and professional podcast guest. <laughs> she created and starred in the NBC sitcom Whitney and co-created and co-wrote the Whitney-nominated Two Broke Girls. I watched the first season when I was in jail on my jail tablet. Really? <laughs> yes. Did they you did like it? Yes, it was great. Yeah, I made it through. <laughs> I loved a lot of what that show was about was sort of making fun of the shallowness of New York and sort of the, um, you know, kind of what you have to do in order to hustle to make money, you know, the hard way, the easy way, all of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, kind of like from both perspectives. Yeah, I only had the first season there, so I couldn't uh, watch anymore, but I will. Oh my goodness, (laughs) I know someone, I can hook you up. (laughs) Her podcast, Good For You, has been in production since 2019, and she's currently on her Touch Me tour across the United States. Whitney, welcome to the Delphi Show. Thank you. <laughs> I'm excited. Um, so how did you feel when I asked you to be on my podcast? I was like, I, I'm almost, I want to hear this podcast so badly <laughs> that I guess I'll just have to be on it and then listen <laughs> later. But I just am so excited because you're such an enigma. And having talked to you, um, the little that I have, I'm fascinated by you. So I'm a little bit annoyed and jealous that it's going to be such a big hit and I'll probably fade into obscurity because you're going to take over the podcast world. But I can't wait. I selfishly want to subscribe. Were you scared to tell me no? What's that? Were you scared to tell, were you scared to tell me no? Was I scared to tell you no? No, you're not a famous male comedian. <laughs> Although when you say no to them, they just put you to sleep and do what they want anyway. But no, I'm not. I'm fascinated by you. And I am very big on um, participating when a woman has a dream. And I think we all kind of like we can't get the experience that we need in order to be good at something, but no one will give us an opportunity unless we have the experience. So we tend to just have to go for it, you know. So I was someone that basically had big dreams, but I didn't have the experience, but no one will give you the job unless you have the experience. So I had to kind of learn publicly. And I think I love watching people um, do something, you know, I love, I just love people that have big dreams and big goals and ambitions and that are like, you know what, I might not know how to do this yet, but I'm going to figure it out. How else am I going to figure it out unless I do it? Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. So have you ever been to jail yourself? (laughs) (laughs) 
I love this is already the best podcast. This is already the best podcast ever made. Um, I have never been to jail. No. Um, what, when did you feel like you came the closest to going to jail? Ooh, great question. Um, I mean, uh, let's see. I I have been in emotional prisons. I don't know if that counts. I've dated actors. Um, but uh, the closest I've ever come to jail. I mean, I should definitely be in jail, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I guess, like, I mean, I didn't pay credit card bills for a long time. I definitely, <laughs> oh, I had so many speeding tickets. I had enough speeding tickets to, I think, go to jail. But in L.A., we have, like, a comedy uh, traffic school where if you volunteer to do stand-up comedy at a traffic school, they'll take points <laughs> off your license. <laughs> But I didn't pay traffic tickets for a very long time. And my, I drove with an expired license for a really long time. And I didn't go to jury duty many times, which I think <laughs> now is a big problem. So do you feel all successful women are, are either criminals or whores? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't really believe in the concept of a whore. You know what I mean? Like, this whole thing of if you are promiscuous or that already has a judgment on it and is, you know, pathologized. But, you know, I think that women should be able to sleep with whoever they want as much as they want. And that's just, it is what it is. Um, are all successful women criminals? Um, you know, it's, if they are in big tech, probably, <laughs> or big pharma or the government. Um, uh, I don't know if that's the case necessarily in you know, my fields, uh, you know, we kind of have to con people quite a bit. You know, we rely <laughs> on a lot of smoke and mirrors, you know? I think that in my business, stretching the truth is just part of being a good business person. Yeah. Um, and, you know, fake it till you make it is not really looked down upon for the yeah. most part. You say in order to get an independent movie made, if someone, you know, is like, yeah, I'll give you a hundred grand for this movie if someone else puts up a hundred grand and then you have to go like, well, <laughs> They're look, it's looking good. They're going to invest. And then they go with an all-invest. Then you go, great. And then you tell the other person he's in. And then he's in. You know, I don't know. Is that criminal or is that just being a good business person? It's a very fine line in America. Right. I think. Yeah. So do you feel like all criminal women are good or just me? <laughs> I think that when someone in America, at least, is all I can speak for, you know, I think we have been put in a situation where you are punished for being honest. Right. I think that, you know, being resourceful and being creative and believing in yourself, you know, sometimes could be viewed as being dishonest or criminal. But yeah. I think for the most part, you know, when you're trying to survive or you're trying to ascend the class you were born into, you know, it's very hard to, you know, not have to stretch the truth every now and then, you know, blatantly, you know, stealing from people, I don't condone, but, you know, you can argue that a lot of That's people the are... right answer. What's that? <laughs> That's the right answer. I just, I don't know. I just, usually when someone does something quote-unquote criminal, I'm like, well, I would like to hear their side of the story because most of our politicians are criminals. <laughs> most of the people that run our country are kind of criminals, but if you were born into wealth, you kind of get a pass, you know? Yeah. If you're... 
you know, if you weren't born lucky in this country because you either have white privilege or pretty privilege or didn't marry someone rich or don't come yeah. from old money, like, I'm just not sure what other choice you have. I think we should, like, as a society, as a society we should, like, redefine what criminal actually means. Yeah. And, like, the felony and misdemeanor, like, the whole kind of, um, the differences between the concepts, you know? Like, even you don't really have the word, you have, like, a word felon. Yeah. But what's the noun for, like, for somebody who committed a misdemeanor. Yeah, a misdemeanor. I mean, and also, I think in this country, like, I tend to think that, aside from obviously, you know, the rape and murder and, you know, all that sort of thing, but is, you know, awful. But I think that if you're in a criminal system anyway and you do something criminal, you're kind of just um, a good business person at this point. <laughs> I mean, it's fucked up. I'm not happy about it, you know, yeah. but I think that we tend to, in this country, get punished by playing by the rules. Yeah. You know, and I think I see it more as, like, survival than anything else. You know, it's like I'm playing a corrupt game, so I have to be corrupt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you feel like I've been treated different by the public and by the media for being a woman and having done what I've done? Our, and I don't even know if this is an American thing. I think humans, we really get off on a good public shaming of a, of a woman. We love it. I mean, it. I got my fair share of that when I dared at, you know, 26, 27 years old to have the audacity to create a television show and that I starred in, that I created, and that I wrote. I only did that because no one would cast me because I wasn't pretty enough to be the hot girl. I wasn't, you know, homey enough or whatever to be the girl next door. I wasn't blonde. I was loud. I was taller than every actor. Every time I came close to getting a job as an actress, I would go into the screen test with the actor and he would come up to here. And I was like, well, I'm not getting this job, you know? And so I knew no one was working hard to make my dreams come true. I never, you know, I'm too shrill. I'm too opinionated. My voice is too deep. I'm not like smart enough to laugh when other people talk like you are, <laughs> even though it seems very genuine, you know, um, when other people are funny, I just get angry and jealous and competitive. <laughs> I can't just enjoy them like you can. And so I just, I had no choice but to create things for myself. And I think people didn't like it because when a woman has big dreams, they're thought of as ambitious, they're thought of conniving, they're thought of as selfish, you know? which is so weird to me. I'm like, you would rather have someone that just lucked into it? You'd rather have someone that was just born into it? I love Sofia Coppola. She's brilliant, but like, you know, had someone else pitch the same idea of like an old 65-year-old yeah. flirting with a 22-year-old, would people be like, yeah, here's the money. You know, I don't, who knows? You know, yeah. I think that we really like someone that's pre-approved by being born into wealth for whatever reason, even if it's from a nefarious source, you know? Yeah. We would rather um, watch someone win if they were born into, you know, politician money. No. We're like, yeah, I trust that person. It's like, what? They come from psychopaths. You'd rather <laughs> than that than bet on someone who just like by hook and crook has grit and wants to do it the hard way. You know, I know I'm kind of rambling, but I think that you just check every box for people to be able to villainize you. I mean, you really do. It's like you have a, you're this assassin ass accent. I mean, literally, we cast in Marvel movies that <laughs> accent to be a villain, you know? And you're young, you're beautiful, you're blonde. It's just kind of like 
how we've cast villains. It's very easy to go like, <laughs> uh, she's entitled, or uh, she cheated, or uh. It makes us feel better, Yeah. you yeah. know? And you're also ambitious and you had big dreams. Yeah. And when a woman is ambitious and has big dreams, we're like, where does she get off? <laughs> we want women to hate themselves in this country. We want them to, you know, we want them to get what they got by accident mm -hmm. in a way. We want them to stumble into success. And when someone's like ambitious and wants something. And apologize uh, for it, yeah. It's, we don't like it. Yeah. It's threatening to us. It kicks up some primordial shit. You know, and you're also not a blabbermouth like me. You're very easy to project on. You're like a Rorschach test, you know? And people just put their shit on you, um, you know? And then, you know, from what I understand about the story, some of the company that you kept in your, you know, early 20s were forward-facing people that wanted fame or notoriety, whatever it was at all costs. So it was amplified, and they ended up talking a lot and you couldn't talk a ton, right? Because <laughs> you were in jail, you know, or it just, you had the grace to go, you know what, the choices that I made in my 20s, like I, I'm not gonna defend them or lean into them. It's just yeah. what happened, happened. I'm trying to move on, but other people talked more. So we're gonna yeah. lean into the people that are gonna give us the, the dopamine and the serotonin from gossiping. So mm -hmm. a lot of people didn't hear your side of the story. So it was really easy to be able to, talk shit about you, but yeah. the way the media portrays any woman is always going to be disgusting and unfair. You know, I mean, by the way, meanwhile, around the same time, I think uh, Elizabeth Holmes was on the cover of Time magazine. Yeah. Right? So, like, <laughs> you know, they were lauding, you know, someone that had swindled hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. with a completely bogus lie and lauding her, right? Yeah. So who knows, uh, you know, why the media latches on to certain people and doesn't, you know, it seems yeah. like a lot of it's paid and she had hired a publicist and kind of like, yeah. um, you know, so I don't think I've ever seen a woman uh, treated fairly. It's either they get way more credit than they deserve or way less credit than they deserve. It's hard to tell. I guess with Elizabeth, like there were a lot of powerful men behind her too. Mm -hmm. And they kind of like made her the poster woman. It's just like, look at us, we are supporting a woman. I think like there was some of that behind look that Look at too. us, we're supporting an 18 year old blonde girl. <laughs> we're so, we love supporting women as long as they're 18 and blonde. <laughs> Ridiculous. Like that whole thing, you just have to understand as a brunette how fucking annoying that was. <laughs> like, we were just, everyone's like, how did this 18 year old girl swindle <laughs> these billionaires? Like, bitch, I could have told you exactly how that was going to end. There was all these like brunette, you know, doctors at Stanford that were like, we actually can execute this technology. Like, we know what, can we have some money? They're like, shut up, doctor. This 18 year old has some good points. Like, the, she was like, I don't need to go to, I, I can leave sophomore year. She went to Stanford for two years and was like, I think I got it. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, yeah, she does. Wait, you think if Elizabeth Holmes were a brunette, she would? <laughs> Never would have heard of her. She'd st she would have, she would be working as a waitress trying to pay off the Stanford loans, 100%. Did you ever dye your hair blonde? I have been blonde. Yeah. It's a totally different experience. <laughs> what made you switch back? Okay, I, I, dumb. I'm dumb. I'm a masochistic dumb dumb. 
Dude, when I was blonde, I had to go blonde for a movie. It's a totally different, it's like the baristas draw hearts on your cup. <laughs> like when you go on a plane, they're like, would you like to see the cockpit? I'm like, what? <laughs> You, you're gonna go, come, you wanna see some buttons? Like, no, I'm good, thanks. Like, it's a totally different experience. Like, moving through the world as, like, I have friends that are blondes and it's just cracks, and it's not, not your fault, it's just, you know, <laughs> people just instantly start taking care of you. They, they I think it's, you know, and they, Blondes kind of get to float through the world in just a different way than brunettes get to. You know, like, uh, I have a friend, she's blonde, she comes over and she expects me to have stuff in my house that, like, no one would have in the house. <laughs> she's like, do you have any butterscotch? I'm like, what? How many people tried to molest you when you were a kid? Like, butterscotch? Like, no one has butterscotch. She's like, okay, cool. okay, some Big League Chew? I'm like... Do people just give you candy all the time? Like, what is your life? Like, they're stunned if they're at a restaurant and the bill comes. They're like, what's that? They're stunned when they have to pay for a drink. It's just, it's hilarious. It's hilarious, you know? So, you know, there's that, and then there's the white privilege on top of it, but there is a blonde privilege within white privilege that we do have to address. I've been to a lot of the marches. The blondes aren't there. I'm just saying. And we have to get through to the blondes because they're the ones the politicians marry. They don't marry us. And it doesn't mean you're dumb. You know, I don't know any blondes that are naturally dumber. I think it's more just you start getting different kind of attention when you're a kid and then yeah. in the media it's reinforced. And, you know, it's pretty gross. I mean, it goes, I mean, when people are like, even into blondes. I'm like, that was kind of like Hitler's philosophy. Like, you know what I mean? It's a wild thing that it's rooted in, but, you know. Would you consider going blonde anytime in the future? It's funny because when I went blonde, I mean, I remember it just, it was, my hair was getting so dead and dry. I started looking like big Courtney Love energy. And if you have blonde hair that's not shiny, people think you're on meth. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so I kind of had to go back and <laughs> I started waking up every morning to a text saying, are you okay? And I don't even think the answer was yes. You know, I found myself getting a little spoiled and entitled. So I went back to Brown and uh, I think this was more, I, I look, I, I have big like villain energy when I'm blonde. And it's also like a full-time job to maintain it. Cause it's like, unless it's done perfect. It's like, if you're fully blonde, you have, you know, an amazing life. But as soon as the tiniest bit of a root grows out, drug addict. Right. I mean, if that makes you feel better, both Elizabeth and me got so much hate for our hair in the media with, like, being frizzy and uh, just all kinds of stuff. <laughs> so you're totally right. <laughs> so she doesn't have the Dyson blow dryer in jail? What a cunt. <laughs> You really just can't win. But if your hair looks too good, it's like she's shallow. But if it's frizzy, it's like she's frizzy. It's like, what is it? So do you feel like the whole social media like made it worse for women in general? That's a hard one. I think that I think my ultimate answer is maybe no, because I think, you know, number one, before social media, we only had access to the image of women that was curated by like the fashion world, you know? It was it was Kate Moss when I was growing up. Like Kate Moss, you know, no shade on Kate Moss, but she was, you know, alarmingly thin. And the people that were able to curate what is perceived as 
a beautiful woman was chosen by, you know, psychopaths in fashion. No offense, but that was crazy, you know? Yeah. And then with social media, we started to see different kinds of bodies. So at least you have the option of seeing different kinds of bodies. Like if you just, you know, choose to only follow models and that's what you see, fine. But now it's like, you know, Kim Kardashian, say what you want about Kim Kardashian, but she definitely put forward a different kind of body type, you know? Yeah. And I'm not, you know, her impact on sort of like, what we perceive as beautiful or what we perceive as hot, you know, I think like was for the longest time run by, you know, um, very few people. So now you can kind of find people on Instagram or whatever that have different body types that are showing cellulite, that are showing stretch marks, you know, you can at least choose what image you're going to contaminate your brain with. <laughs> you know, there's at least other options. Um, you know, I know there's certainly negative, you know, impacts of social media, but there's negative impacts of everything. You know, I think everything is like a knife. You can use it to kill someone or you can use it to make a beautiful meal. It just depends on how you choose to use it. No. Um, I think uh, in terms of women being able to make money different ways, you know, no. I think that that's been really helpful. You know, if you want to pose in a bikini to make money, good for you. You know, no. what is a woman in this culture, like, you don't have a ton of options, no. you know, no. otherwise, you know, OnlyFans is, I don't know if that counts as social media, but I'm a really big fan of what OnlyFans uh, has provided in terms no. of women that don't necessarily want to be sex workers, don't necessarily want to show their bodies, but like, what choice do you have? If you're a teacher in America for a public school, you're making $30,000 a year to, yeah. to basically train the future of this country. You're yeah. being paid no money and, you know, going to school every day to teach, you know, doing something really noble. And you also now have to risk maybe getting mowed down by a psychopath with a machine gun. So yeah. if you want to go make an extra 100 grand a year to pay off your student loans or, you know, help get your parents out of debt or get health insurance and you want to show your tits, good for you. Yeah. I've read you on OnlyFans now. What's that? Oh, I am on OnlyFans. <laughs> so a couple things. Number one, OnlyFans, I get really fascinated when people hate something. Because yeah. it usually means power is being redistributed. It usually means their place in society is being threatened. Yeah. It usually means it's kicking up some, some shame or it's threatening someone's ego or they're getting less power. So when people are like, OnlyFans, OnlyFans, like, I don't know about this. This is, you know, it's like, oh, this must mean women and minorities are making money. <laughs> and you don't like it. Like, what's going on over there that you're so pissed about? So, uh, you know, and also I work in a business, you know, comedy, Hollywood, whatever, that, you know, spends a lot of time trying to convince us that they're yeah. giving women opportunities and more money and it's just not happening. You know, and it's not just men. Women don't give women opportunities, you know? And so um, I uh, got fascinated by the fact that there was all this access to being able to make money in, you know, and like, wait a second, OnlyFans is putting more money in women's pockets than anyone in Hollywood is, you know, they're, you know, and it's giving them the opportunity to own their own content so they can take it down whenever they want and it's not going to ruin their life. And I see a lot of women on Instagram exploiting themselves for free. Why not exploit yourself for money? So it's actually not exploitation. And as a comic, I found that, you know, you know, right now, and I don't know if it's something that, you know, you've heard about much, but, um, you know, there aren't a lot of comics in jail. A lot of them should be in jail, but I don't know if you've crossed paths with them. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of people getting mad at comedians who are making jokes. And I think 
Some of it is the outrage machine addiction. Some of it is what's going on in the zeitgeist. And the other part of it is that, you know, I think is on us. I think comedians are giving away, um, or I'll, I'll put it this way. Number one, we're giving away our work for free a lot on social media with some kind of, yeah. you know, self-delusion that, or sometimes it's true, but that I'm going to get something out of this. Like, yeah. I'm going to, if I post, you know, 10 tweets a day of jokes, I'm going to get a job writing on a late-night show. Or if I, you know, post these jokes, people are going to start following me, I'm going to build a following, and then come see me do stand-up. But the problem with that is, like, you know, comedy is not meant to be read by people that aren't comedians. You know, if you're Mitch Hedberg, if you're Stephen Wright, if you're Dimitri Martin, sometimes your jokes can just sort of live in, like, the, what I call, like, fortune cookie format, which is you can read it, it's funny, you can forward it, it makes sense. But most comedy is meant to be delivered in a certain context. There's a reason that we do it at night in a dark room <laughs> with people that have had a couple drinks. Like, you know, you're saying, like, comedy is about to happen and you're consensually signing up for it and paying for it and you're in the mind space of I'm going to go hear a bunch of stuff that I can't hear anywhere else and it's going to be delivered in a way where it's like if I'm telling a rape joke, I'm going, like, I'm delivering it in a way where you know I'm joking. Whereas, yeah. you know, uh, reading a joke, it's out of context. You're relying yeah. on the person who's reading it to deliver it and you have no idea what that joke is going to come in between you can't control what yeah. people are hearing in between so we're kind of forcing comedy on people that aren't signing up for comedy uh during the day so let's say i make a joke about abortion you know that's a great joke there's no reason it shouldn't be funny i'm someone that's had an abortion i should absolutely be able to make a joke like this if i want to if people don't think it's funny that's totally fine but you know if someone follows me the chances of it going over well is going to be a little better. They know I'm a comedian. They know my spirit. They know my heart. They know yeah. what kind of person I am. But I can't control that if you follow me and you retweet my abortion joke, I don't know who follows you. They might yeah. have not signed up to see my abortion joke. They may not know me. And I, I don't know what that joke is coming in between because, you know, it could be coming between a tweet of Trump is running again and 10 kids shot at an elementary school. Yeah. So the context is like no one is in yeah. the mind frame of an abortion joke and they might not follow me. So and then we're like, people are trying to cancel me. And, pe you know, so I think that um, I, I started going like, what is going on with comedy? Every, comedians are complaining a bit about getting canceled and there's a censorship free speech thing. But like also, you know, I like watching football every now and then. I don't want it forced on me when I'm not. Yeah, in the mood. For it, yeah. yeah, I don't want someone running up to me showing me a football game. I'll be like, whoa, I need mean, not in the headspace for that, you know? So we're kind of doing that with comedy. We're like, there's my joke. Like, yeah, I know you're at work and it's 2 p.m. on a Tuesday, but like, so I was like, okay, we have to get back to just doing comedy for people that are actually comedy fans that are seeking out comedy. So I got fascinated by what's going on with OnlyFans because it's like, you know, I was like, okay, maybe instead of dirty photos and dirty videos, that's where we can put our dirty jokes. The jokes that we shouldn't be doing on Twitter, the jokes we shouldn't be doing on Instagram, the show, jokes that aren't for everyone, you so know? So why did you choose OnlyFans um, as opposed to, I don't know, like Patreon or Substack or whatever people have Good out question. There. They came to me and I was actually really intrigued by the fact that, you know, they're starting a TV network, OnlyFans TV, and they came to me to do their first television project. So I already just had respect for that, you know? Mm -hmm. Normally big companies would bet on a guy, would bet on, you know, some older bro and they decided to come to me and I just thought that was cool and I wanted to hear them out because I historically have always been a little bit reluctant about new platforms and reluctant for change. I think 
you know, being a girl, being a comic, I always kind of had to rely on an already established network in order to like get exposure for someone to bet on me. You know, if I had a TV show, you want to go after an already established TV show. You know, I wasn't in a place where I could bet on myself before, you know, but now it's like, okay, this is a new platform. They're betting on me. Why not? I mean, when I was, uh, you know, involved in a really big television show, Two Broke Girls, Mm -hmm. um, the question I would always ask people when they came up to me and they were like, you know, it's my favorite show. I've watched every episode. It changed my life. And I would always ask them, what network is it on? And no one ever knew the answer. So it was like, no one cares about channels anymore. Channels are over. People are just going to go Anna Delvey podcast, yeah. and then they're going to click on it. I watched it on GTO, on the Dude. jail app. <laughs> Two Girls was on the jail app? Yes. I have not seen the residual check for that. It's GTO, yeah. That's hilarious. That, try- that makes sense. That makes so, sense. We have, like, a tablet, and they make that. So the tablets, um, the tablets are free, but everybody, like, gets an account, and they charge just by the minute. <clears throat> so I probably paid, I don't know, it's like five cents a minute. So you should You went get... broke watching Two Broke Girls? <laughs> <laughs> the irony. You probably got paid from it. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably owe you money. I caught you out of money. <laughs> what is it, 20 minutes or something? You're totally misunderstood. <laughs> I've stolen from Anna Delvey, you guys. This is a wild turn of events. Um, Well, I'll get you some free episodes. How about that? I think I can hook you up. I deserve this, yeah. But, um, so yeah, so I kind of like, you know, I was the last person to get on Instagram. I was the Mm -hmm. last person to get on Facebook. I was the last person to get on Snapchat. And I'm just like, you know what? Let me just take a contrary action and just when something new happens, just go for it. You know, I think new platforms they have skin in the game they they you know I I spent so much time being so insecure with my talent and my ability that I always went oh I need the machine to make people find me and to make people validate me and that usually means you're going to be a small fish in a big pond and I was like let's see what happens if I bet on myself and just bet on my talent and bet on the quality and be a big fish in a small pond because it's yeah. going to be a big pond eventually, yeah, you know? Yeah. So I think that people really want to, you know, go to something that's new. And I think especially OnlyFans with their brand being like anything goes when most people's brands now are you can't say anything because we're afraid of getting in trouble. Yeah. You know, I was just excited by that. Okay. And I'm a gutter bitch. Like, I'm yeah. a scumbag. <laughs> you know, I'm a comic. Like, <laughs> this whole thing where you have to, like, you know do anything except comedy in order to get respected by people. I just want to be, I just want as many eyeballs as possible. And I'm not going to judge the fans. I'm not going to judge the kind of people that are on OnlyFans. I'm not going to judge the people making money off it. I'm not going to judge the people that are watching it. You know? So you've talked a lot about growing up in a household of alcoholics. So you feel like it made you stronger in how it affected like your comedy. Did you have to like power through that? Um, It's such a good question. And like, I feel weird answering it so positively because you know I feel so lucky that I had a tremendous amount of adversity but I don't know how you like what you do with that information like I think all the time like when I have a kid like I can't intentionally put them through adversity so that they develop good life skills and resilience and you know a high pain tolerance and the ability to solve their own problems because I think it can kind of go either way. You know, I've you know other siblings that I think you should. I think when I get- <laughs> 
We are pro-child abuse over here on the Anna Delvey podcast. But you know, and I don't mean that. I think I see parents sort of over-coddling their kids to the point of, I don't know how they're going to be self-sufficient in any capacity in their life, yeah. you know? And I'm sure it goes sideways for a lot of people. You know, I have siblings that didn't necessarily, you know, uh, inherit the same kind of survival traits I did. And it might be a birth order thing. I just yeah. might, you know, be lucky that I ended up being the youngest and I was able to learn from the mistakes of an older sibling or yeah. the negative impacts of alcoholism. And one of my biggest problems coming from alcoholic home is that everything just bored the shit out of me. My tolerance for adrenaline was so high. Yeah. We tend to conflate serenity and boredom. You know, my therapist had explained to me, like, what you think is boring is actually just serenity. Like, I just <laughs> have such a high tolerance for <laughs> drama and I would conflate drama with, like, passion, you know? And I wanted to date guys that would, like, you know, cheat and have secrets and fight because it just, like, adrenaline turns into dopamine. It's like we call it the internal drug cabinet, whereas, yeah. like, that's why... You know, uh, you know, love addicts and you know, codependents. We're addicted to addicts because of the mercurial nature. We constantly have to like shape shift to get their approval. We never know where we stand, and it's just like, you know, it's we get high on adrenaline, the internal drug cat. I can see it as like thinking back um, to myself. Like I can't even see myself like outside the whole like legal and criminal justice system and you know it's like who am i anymore if like nobody cares if i don't have a parole officer <laughs> it is kind of a trip isn't it it's like do i even matter if like i still not care about me or like you don't that. strike me as someone that is like into drama though <laughs> i'm not but i'm just thinking um like if i were to go to europe so i always had a choice to like go back and thinking it's like there, I wouldn't have any legal problems because like I've never been arrested anywhere else. And like just kind of to think about it, it's like I have been doing this what for five years. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like crazy. Just like <laughs> how well humans are. The most fascinating thing about humans <laughs> and terrifying is how quickly we can adapt yeah. to an abusive situation, a dysfunctional situation. You know, like I'll say it. Like when I hear about a school shooting now, I'm like, ah, oh, bummer. <laughs> You're like, how did I go numb to this? Like, how did I get used to this so quickly? Yeah. You know, like how quickly we can, um, you know, accustom ourselves to uh, horrible things and get comfortable in situations that a month ago we think we wouldn't be able to survive, you know? Yeah. So, and then you, you know, but I think the key is to probably just like go, okay, is this something I'm actively choosing to participate in or am I addicted to this, yeah. this vibe? But yeah, who am I without this drama? Right. It's kind of a trip. <laughs> so this is what I'm figuring out right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that we're kind of conditioned to believe that in order for something to be good, it has to be hard. Yeah. Or in order for something to be of high quality, it has to have taken a lot of, um, you know, toil. And we, we tend to glorify martyring ourselves. But I yeah. think this next generation kind of knows, like, in order for something good, it can kind of be fun and, you know, <laughs> it doesn't have to be a nightmare. So I think that the confluence of your experience and your age and the time that you're alive in, hopefully that has gone away. Like in my field, there was like for a long time this glorifying this myth that in order to be funny, you had to be sick. You had to be mentally unstable, unhealthy. You had to hurt yourself. And I think that that's kind of changed. You had to be male. <laughs> and you had to just be a guy. Yeah, just you had to be a white guy who cheated on his wife with 18 year olds.
So you self-funded the making of your fifth comedy special for Netflix. I did. Is that like your form of retaking power? Or? Yeah, you know, I started seeing a lot of my specials on like, you know, that I'd done for Comedy Central. I started seeing them on Amazon and Discovery Plus and, you know, this network and this network and just being like, someone's making money off this and it's definitely not me, but fine because a lot of times in, in my business, you just gaslight yourself into being like, oh, no, 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 you're paid you're paid by getting the exposure. Like we go, oh no, but HBO is not going to pay me a lot, but I get to be on HBO. And we kind of do that over and over again. We're like, no, 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 I'm not making any money on this, but this is giving me the opportunity to get the next thing that's going to pay me. And then you just keep doing that over and over again to the point where like, wait a second, I just keep getting paid in the opportunity to be here instead of for my actual work. So I'm like, wait a second, I'm the one, I got the crown, I got the prom queen I got the honor of being, you know, uh, validated by Hollywood people, but I don't own any of this. That's wild. And I can't put it on Spotify. I couldn't even post my own clips on YouTube or my own clips of the stuff that I made on Instagram, you know? So I was just like this, and I'm waiting. And a lot of the networks I saw were consolidating, were disappearing. You know, Comedy Central was, if you were on Comedy Central, you were in 80 million homes. And then overnight, it was like, the website didn't even work. You needed like an Adobe plugin. I'm like, I don't even know how to watch my own special. You know, this is wild. So I think that, um, you know, for me, I was like, at this point in my career, I've done, you know, four stand-up specials. If I'm not going to bet on myself, why am I expecting other people to? And I see the guys betting on themselves and without, I mean, a lot of guys with absolutely nothing to say, making millions of dollars, rambling on a podcast for two hours. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know if I could do that. It's like, it's not, what if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not funny enough? I'm like, what if I was just confident enough? Yeah. You know, what if I just, let let me just try betting on myself. What's the worst that's going to happen? It's not going to work. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've had that happen in every relationship I've ever been in and a lot of the things I've done. So like, you know, I think I was in a little bit of a reckless phase after, you know, COVID had happened. You know, I had this huge tour scheduled. I was doing 70 cities. They all got canceled, you know, and I just was a little bit like, I see guys have a fucking energy. I see guys that have way more confidence than they have talent. And I'm like, well, I have way more talent than I have confidence. So like, what if I just tried it this other way? What's the worst that's going to happen? I'm going to fail. Well, that's happened before, Yeah. you know? And so I just decided to like go for it because I just got so sick of other people making money off of my work. Yeah. And um, you had previously starred in the drama film Unforgettable and you were recently cast in a fo- Fox and Quality series. Was it Unforgettable? Feels like it was pretty forgettable, that movie was. <laughs> <laughs> Which is more dramatic work than we are used from you. Uh, are you interested in acting more outside of comedy? And how um, has that felt in your development? That's a really good question. And I have a really good answer. Um, I, you know, for the longest time in terms of acting, I got really disillusioned by it because it just, you know, once you're sort of getting to do comedy as much as I started, you know, creating the opportunities for myself to do comedy, acting starts to become really boring because you, a big part of acting is having to listen to bad ideas or to have better ideas and have to kind of bite your tongue or, you know, pretend something's funny that you don't think is funny or, you know, and I think that being a good comedian a lot of times is about how radically 
honest, you're able to be with yourself and others, mm -hmm. you know, and everyone can smell bullshit a mile away, you know, and being on stage, you just, you just cannot have any bullshit. And a lot of acting is like bullshit. I think that the older I got and the better I got at comedy, the worse I kind of, not the worse I got at acting, but the less I enjoyed it. Cause I just was like, oh, so we're all just gonna be full of shit. Like, it just was like, it didn't, you know, I kind of was like, who would wear this to work? <laughs> this is bat shit, crazy, you know what I mean? And it was just the idea of being in a hair and makeup chair for three hours. Like it was just, it's a lot of waiting around. It's a lot of like socializing with other actors, which can be really- It's like going on trial. It's like a lot of waiting around and socializing with them. Being on trial, I would rather be on trial at this point than be in Law & Order SVU. Like I'd rather actually just have the experience, you know? And I think that all the things that I wanted to feel in acting as an actor, I think I was able to accomplish as a stand-up and as a writer, you know, and... Tell me about the comedy, Central Comedy Rose. I think that's it. Oh, yeah, well, that, oh, yes, well, that is, that, I'll, that is all context. So, like, MMA, if Conor McGregor punches out whatever MMA guy, he's doing his job. If he does it to some random person on the street, that's a crime, you know? Yeah. So the roasts are, you know, like mental verbal MMA. You know, everyone that's fair there, game. Everyone there has signed up yeah. to, we're gonna say these artfully crafted, savage things about each other, and we're getting paid to, to do it, you know? But I can't just, you know, if I meet someone at a party and do it, I'm just an asshole. But <laughs> so for me, I really like to lean into the villain stuff uh, fictionally because I have all these like, I have a very specific set of skills um, and I never get to use them in my personal life. So I tell my agents, like, I just want to play monsters because I'm really good at it and I can only really do it in pretend time. So like I was in the Machine Gun Kelly movie playing this like horribly selfish, you know, backwards, like um, greedy uh agent, like his talent agent, who would do anything to get ahead. And then I'm in a movie coming out soon where I play like a Hollywood publicist who will do anything to get, you know, everything she says is a lie, you know? And so um, I really enjoy doing that because I'm good at it, but I don't get to do it in my personal life for free anymore. <laughs> All right. So what advice do you have for me in podcasting? Like, I mean, you're already laughing at things I'm saying that aren't that funny. So you're going to do great. With the, I'm just giggling like that naturally. You really are. It's like you, you already like, you know, my biggest problem on my podcast that I host is that I talk too much. People are like, why are you talking the whole time on your podcast? I'm like, what the fuck is, what am I, you know, you're really good at, I don't know if it's just me, I'm not letting you get a word in edgewise, but you actually ask a question and wait for the answer. I've never done that. I've been doing this for three years. I'll ask someone a question and be like, well, what I did was. Um, so based on the comments I get, you are, this is what everyone wants. You know, I think you're going to have no problem getting fascinating guests. Yes, I mean, you are one of the first ones. Thank you so much for coming. But but this is, it's it's incredible. I mean, it's incredible. I think the only thing I would say is, I mean, you won't be able to do it when I'm on, but like talk more. <laughs> you couldn't do that today, but, but I love, like you have an experience that a very few people have, you know, and you like, 
the hardest part of this podcast for me is being like, well, I want to know how she would answer this question. <laughs> well, I found like personally, I've been interviewed a lot, and I found like the best journalists are always the best listeners. This is like I'm the best show or best listeners. Well, the best journalists, like the oh, best reporters, yeah. they are the best listeners. Is there such a thing as a good journalist? Uh, yeah, that's debatable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there such a thing? Um, yeah, that's a good point. Well. I think that the good journalists are the ones that are smart enough to just let people hang themselves. Yeah. Because if you let someone talk enough, they're going to get insecure and panic and admit some shit that they shouldn't admit just because it's everyone's fear to be boring. <laughs> right, yeah. People overshare, like, um, in a way that it's, like, chronically overshare. People yeah. love to feel the silence and the people People are to. so uncomfortable with silence. <laughs> this is why you are going to take over podcasting because you will just stare at someone until they say something interesting. <laughs> yeah, you just revealed my whole strategy. <laughs> I mean, it's wild, dude. So what's next for you? <laughs> I think I work for you now. I mean, aren't I your assistant? I, I mean, is, am I not hired? Um, I uh, am working on bringing back the, you know, uh, we used to have uh, on Comedy Central used to do the roasts, which were basically comedians getting together and, you know, making fun of each other in the most savage way possible. And the inception of that was called the Friars Club Roast, where it was just comedians making fun of comedians. So it was a little more humane because it was kind of... Uh, the same weight class fighting in the same weight class. But then Comedy Central started putting on like celebrities and stuff. And that's when it started feeling mean. Cause you're like, wait a second, this is a bunch of huge savage comedians like David Tell and Jim Norton and Jeff Ross and Greg Giraldo. And then like Pam Anderson, <laughs> just everyone's just calling her a whore <laughs> for an hour. And it was like, this did not age well. Like this is wild. And it was a lot of, you know, it was run by men. So it was a lot of just calling 40 year old women, old fat whores. It was like, what is happening? You know, it started getting like actually racist and actually homophobic, you know? And so, um, you know, I want to bring it back in a way that, you know, sort of brings back the spirit of, you know, being called out on your shit telling on yourself, providing schadenfreude for people. It's a catharsis. You know, I think we have an epidemic in this country of people taking themselves way too seriously. You know, jokes can be incredibly healing. I grew up in a home that was all about like, we didn't have money, we didn't have a functional family, but what we did have was a sense of humor. And we were able to make fun of ourselves, we were able to make fun of each other. And, you know, this new climate of if you make fun of someone or poke fun at them, you're punching down or you're bullying them. It's like, you know, if someone's trying to make a joke, even if it misses, even if it's not funny, you're usually just nervous and you're trying to cut tension. We're usually just trying to connect with people. You're usually just trying to make someone laugh, you know? And there's this thing now where if you're trying to make someone laugh because you're insecure, you're just trying to find levity in this nightmare life that we live in, you're a bully, you're punching down, you know? It's like, you know, so people don't move through the world having to make jokes about everything because life went great for them. You know, we do, it's it's medicinal. So I think that, you know, it's a matter of just bringing back in, in a way that it's not about low-hanging fruit, this moment in comedy where people are, you know, getting canceled for jokes. It's just an opportunity to grow. It's just people, you know, just um, don't, you know, it's just racism and homophobia is just not funny anymore. That's all, you know, calling women fat, 
isn't funny. You know, it's one point it was to people. It's not, I never thought I was particularly funny, but like. What do you think is funny now? Oh God, I still, <laughs> I'm such a hack at heart. Like, like a, a good slip and fall gets me every time. I mean, it's, I will take a second to be like, you okay? <gasps> ha ha. You know? Oh my gosh, you know, oh, this is what I wanted to um, bring up. The, one of your jokes, I remember I watched your stand up like years ago and you said this joke and I still remember it. I was actually looking for it, um, and you need to retell it for me. It's like the when you talk about the guy and like you're dating him, and you think he's great, but then like he walks next to you and he stumbles, and then you stop. Dude, <laughs> human nature is a bitch. It was about how like you know if a man shows any weakness, like I can't be attracted to him anymore. <laughs> like, it's not my choice. Like, I, I would so I would love to date Brooklyn hipsters that, you know, talk about their feelings. I just can't. I cannot get, I can't, I just, I will never have an orgasm if you, <laughs> you know, tell me um, about your feelings. I don't hear it. Um, but how I realized that, you know, when men showed weakness, I just would instantly fall out of love with them. And I don't want that. I want to change that about myself. And it was sort of more about like, what, how sexist our nature is. Like, no, I, because I've watched it like, I'm gonna know, maybe seven years, way before I went to jail. So it must've been like at least seven years ago. So <laughs> it was about, oh yeah, I was hanging out with this guy and I was madly in love with him. We were in New York in those cobblestone <laughs> streets, we'll get ya. And he tripped and like <laughs> fell. He didn't, like, he just, it was like a running fall, and I was just, like, instantly fell out of love with him. I was just like, you can't protect my child, you can't fuck me. Like, you can't, it's like if I see a guy carrying a yoga mat, I'm just like, it's like, it's just biology is sexist. I think we spend a lot of time talking about people being sexist and businesses being, it's just like biology is sexist, you know? That happened like, to me too, that's why I can't oh I won't go on a hike with a man, because I know if he walks through a spider web, like, it's over. <laughs> Like watching a man be like, Bleh. like, ah. like you can't, you know. And men know it too. Like men know. Like, you know, have you noticed? Like, have you ever seen a guy get scared? How angry he gets afterwards? Because like he knows, like it's over. Like if a guy's like, fuck, 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 like you know, like I just scared you. Like you open the door, I'm standing here, and you're scared. Like I'm done. It's over. Like I'm getting on Tinder right now. You know, and how unfair that is. The same way, conversely, if you're a woman and you. You maybe show too much competence or strength, a guy's gonna not be into it. Guys want us to be like, mm, I'm lost. <laughs> like, I'm not lost. I know where I'm going. I have GPS. Sorry. I'm a bull dyke because I know where I'm going. Like, why do I have to be a damsel in distress in heels that I'm wobbling in for you to want to fuck me? Like, why are you attracted to, you know, people that don't know where they are, who can't read? Like, why do you, you know, when people are like, you emasculate men. I'm like, okay, because I made my own money if I didn't make my own money and dated a guy, I'd be a gold digger. Like, so which is it, you know? So it's kind of just about these sort of more primordial jams that we're in. Did you feel like got any better over the past year? No. So worse? <laughs> Absolutely not. Here's what I will say. I do think there's a new generation of guys. They're a little bit younger and uh, that pursue me more 
because number one, this sort of younger generation of guys, they grew up with Oprah and Beyonce. You know, they grew up with moms that were probably, a lot of them divorced, a lot of them having to work, you know, so it wasn't weird to them that a woman was hustling. Um, I also think, you know, this is just a theory that I'm working on of like, you know, no one talks about the positive effects of video games. I love a hot take, uh, as you might've noticed. And there's not a ton of evidence that it's negative. I mean, there's, there's a lot of evidence that if you played video games, games, you actually have better reflexes. Who knows? I'm sure that you can connect Call of Duty to gun, wanting guns, glorifying it. I'm sure. I'm not a you know, sociologist and I've done no research on this, except I'm dating the video game nerds. I think I would know. But there's some guys that I've noticed, this is just my experience, that, you know, these video games really tap into this like medieval white knight thing where guys want to like rescue the damsel in distress they want to like you know it's all about honor it's all about protecting the girl and i've noticed that a lot of the guys that i've dated that like were hardcore into video games really just are like a one woman i want to rescue you <laughs> i need to find somebody like that <laughs> yeah dude video game nerds i'm telling you they're horrible if they will not cheat on you because they can't. <laughs> Great with their fingers. <laughs> you know, and like, it's a like, you know, I was um, this guy that I'm hanging out with. He's like a really big Call of Duty dork. And I was like, oh, this can't be good. This is like big incel energy. Like, <laughs> I don't know if this is a good idea. And everywhere we go, he's very like protective of me and like we were in a hotel gym recently and it had like all glass walls and the, across the street was a business uh, establishment with a bunch of glass walls and he was like this room is a tactical nightmare <laughs> i was like what he's like wait i can't i'm just gonna stand here because if someone were to shoot through this window it would... and i was like what <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know if I'm mad at this instinct to just constantly be protecting me. I'm I gonna like it. You know, usually the person I'm dating is the danger. It seems like you, like, you know, it's, it's a little paranoid, but you know, you've seen my stand up. A lot of men wanna shoot me in the head. So I feel like this is, you know, I think that, I, I don't know. I just, I think that, that there's more good men out there than, people want to believe and you know there's this thing of like all oh, men are trash thing and i think that you know if you if, if you know if you keep your standards high and don't spend too much time just doing this on dating apps you know i think there's a lot of good guys out there you know and a lot Any of further like personalized dating advice just for me <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> i mean it's weird it's a, this is a tricky one you know i mm, I don't know, dude. You are, you're trouble. I just, you're, it's, you're just, like, you have, you're not, like, a coy, weak feeling. It's going to be harder for you, but I think that, I think it's, I think it's harder for a woman that, like, knows what she wants, you know, is honest about the mistakes she's made or honest about, sort of, the ambitions she has, who is a public figure, it's gonna take like a, a, a big man who knows who he is. But I think that, you know, the more space we take up and the more we know who we are, we're gonna weed out the rigmarole. We're gonna weed out the duds. Eventually. So it's like, it's the good news is that people who 
and they don't know who they are, aren't even gonna attempt with you. <laughs> That's what happens with me. I never get, I get hit on very rarely, but when I do, it's someone I'm into. <laughs> do, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I don't waste a lot of time in relationships with people that don't know who they are because those type of people don't gravitate towards me at all. Yeah. So I actually think it's just like keep being authentic and keep telling the truth so that the wrong guys don't trick you or like waste your time. Yeah. You know, I used to complain. I'd be like, no one hits on me. I think it's because I'm like a loud, annoying comedian. But now when someone does, I like them. Because I'm like, I like the fact that you were had the balls to hit on me. Like, I'm into you. You're kind of weird. Like, you're sort of sick. Sick. Like, there's like, you're gnarly. Like, I'm gnarly. And only gnarly people would ever, would ever occur to them to want to date me you know so i think that you're i think you're in like a good spot you know okay. whereas like i think most of us also spend a lot of time you know pretending we're people we i think when you go to jail you know who you are you find out who you are pretty fast <laughs> pretty fast yeah you know you might need like a lumberjack or like someone you might need someone that's just like a cowboy motherfucker, you know? I would love for you like, to set me up with somebody. I will. I think you need, like, a southern... <laughs> you need someone that, like... <laughs> you, like, you need, like, a... like, a, like a, a, a cattle guy. <laughs> like, someone that can't be emasculated. You have huge opportunities. You're going to be writing books. You're going to have a huge podcast. You call shit like you see it. You don't pretend to know things if you don't know them. And when you know something, you know them, know it better than anyone, you know? <laughs> All right. Well, I just need to find out if I'm going to find a lumberjack. Be You're also house like arrest. hot as shit, so you might attract the wrong kind of guy sometime. I don't know. What are you into? Are you into more of an alpha male or are you into more of a guy with a journal? No, I don't even know. Yeah. I don't even know what, who I am anymore. <laughs> I actually love a blank slate. I know some, some, some hoteliers who would love you. I have like a whole full on identity crisis. I have to be honest with you. This is a hot take, whatever. I like, I like bur burning bridges. I mean, I don't know about New York men, dude. New York men, there's a big like Peter Pan energy here where guys in their 40s are still wearing hoodies under blazers. And like, <laughs> like am I wrong? <laughs> It's like you're wearing a hoodie under every blazer, like to like, and then I'm like, wait a second, do you buy a hoodie that's your size and the blazer a little bigger, or do you buy a smaller size hoodie so the regular blazer fits? Like you thought about this, like you thought through what size hoodie do I need to buy so the blazer fit? Just wear the blazer. There's a lot of like, like sweatpants, like sweatsuit energy here. There's beanies on businessmen. I mean, there's a lot of tomfoolery going on in the New York <laughs> dating scene. A lot of like cool guy hand tattoos, like vice guys, you know what I mean? Like there's guys here that still like smoke cigarettes. You're like, what are you doing? You like, what, who, like, oh really? So it just, you'll, you'll be fine. So the <laughs> science doesn't apply to you or you just are like roping some woman into your fucking imminent cancer. A lot of New York guys, uh, I've, I struggle with a little bit. I mean, LA guys, I don't have a lot of great things to say about, but I think that New York, the New York dating scene is pretty rough. What's like your top three dating scenes? 
Um, if you want kids, Texas is a great place to date. <laughs> no, not Because really, no. if you are pregnant, you are having the child. Um, <laughs> I like a I like a backwoods mother. I like a resourceful guy. I have lots of guy friends that are New Yorkers, but when they come out to LA where I live, they're like afraid of like mosquitoes. <laughs> they like can't parallel park. Like like New Yorkers have a lot of skills that nobody has, but they don't have a lot of skills that are needed in society <laughs> like you guys go to the grocery store like once a day and get three things instead of plan for the week you know what i'm saying like it's just it's it's tr i need a man that can like fix stuff i need a man that knows how to make a printer print i need a man that like knows the difference between tone like like if you can't get a printer if you can't get the paper to come out of the printer, I can't fuck you. Like, you have to know basic skills. You have to be able to hang shit. Like, I need a guy that'll solve a problem. Yeah. I, and I am so, um, just because growing up on farms and having animals, like, if you're afraid of dogs, like, I can't. Like, if you're, <laughs> you know what I mean? You have to be able to, like, you can't be scared of the things that I'm not scared of. Yeah. You have to make me feel safe. That's hot to me. Yeah. And it's hard because I'm the danger to myself. <laughs> you have to protect me from myself. Um, and I think that a man that can't solve one of his own problems or a man, a lot of men now I'm finding, men and women, really want to stay in the problem. There's kind of this new trend where older guys are like just discovering how if you just go to therapy or say you've been to therapy or go to therapy once, you can like blame everything on your dad. <laughs> and it's so unattractive when guys are like, I know why I cheated on you. It's my dad didn't pay attention to me when I was younger. And so I seek attention other places and I'm insecure. I'm like, that's why you fucked the stripper because your dad didn't throw you a baseball. So that it wasn't because she's hot or because you wanted to. It's just, that's the only, like, you know, there's a lot of opportunities right now to make excuses for your behavior. I'd rather someone just go like, I did this. That was disgusting. I'm sorry, and it won't happen again. Instead of like, it's because, you know, my mom and my dad broke up and like she didn't breastfeed me. So that's why I can't stop cheating. You're like, cool. And guys with their porn addictions is a lot, you know? Like, I don't, they're, it's, it's a lot. They're fish hooking now. <laughs> Oh there's gosh, a lot of, like, there's a lot of just guys in skinny jeans. When they get in the bedroom, all of a sudden, they just turn into serial killers. It's like, okay, easy. You're the one that just waited for 20 minutes for an artisanal coffee, and you use a typewriter in the park to write your blog. You don't then get to, you know, Ted Bundy me in the bedroom. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of wild shit going on. All right, so what, what's number two and three after Texas? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't have sex without a condom in Texas. But um, I just, I think that, like, you know, I think that people now just because of the pandemic, because of, like, the internet, not everyone has to be in New York or L.A. So for their job. And unless you have to be in New York or L.A. for your job, I'm a little bit like, why do you live here? You know, it's like a little Well, fishy. I'm on house arrest. Well, yeah, <laughs> you have all the excuses in the world. But you're also 31, and, like, you, you're sort of, you know, starting your life. And all this crazy shit happened to you. And, you know, I think that... To be a guy, I tend to like dating a little bit older guys, but that's changing kind of, but like, I just get like a little bit suspect about people that want to sort of participate in the glitz and the glamour 
you know, at a very high price, you know, I just, there's, a, I mean, maybe that's just me, you know, with the data that I've gotten, you know, I'm like, if a guy doesn't have to live in LA, I'm like, why would you live here if you didn't absolutely have to, except for the endless stream of free pussy <laughs> from 21 year olds? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, why, if you don't work in the entertainment business, like, why do you let your family's not here? Like, it's just sus, you know? So, um, I like Chicago guys. I think Chicago guys have character. I think it's just more, I think, states, you know, or places that aren't New York, LA, or super cosmopolitan cities, I think you find a lot of guys that are more into monogamy and, like, a, a more um, sustainable, committed relationship, if that's what you're looking for. Yeah. I think that a lot of, if you're in New York or LA, the chances of you, you're going to run into 10 hot girls, like, on the way to coffee bean, you know? And it's just kind of like, you know, I find dating in New York really demoralizing. <laughs> I'm just looking for somebody to entertain me in house arrest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, in that case, I can really help you. With somebody who's not gonna be scared if like my parole officer shows up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's the problem, is the guys love a woman that can't go anywhere. I mean, you'll do, you're gonna do fine. Um, when I was dating in New York in my like early 30s, like, you know, making my own money, having dreams, the kind of guys that rejected me that I was wildly out of their league, it was just like astonishing to me. <laughs> astonishing. I'm like, you're, you're a New York four, like in a Patagonia vest on Wall Street. How dare you not ask me on a second date? Like it drove me fucking nuts. And I think that in a city where I think notoriety is celebrated, I just, I think that as a female comedian with opinions, you already have notoriety and I'm sort of have to fight every day for just like general respect, <laughs> you know, that like, I, I just, I don't really know how to navigate the value system of this city very well. Yeah. And like, I'll never be sexy to men in New York because like, I have to wear sneakers in this fucking city <laughs> and I cannot wear heels and it's just, it's not happening. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> You are gonna fucking win podcasting because I'm so desperate to get your approval. I don't know why that I'm literally burning every bridge for no reason just to get you to laugh. I don't think I'm just like contemplating this advice that you are. Yeah, I wouldn't date anyone in the fashion business as a general rule. Um, is that shallow? You are know? you dating anybody right now? I am kind of, kind of. I'm shady as hell about that shit. Um, I dated someone during the pandemic. It was like, it was hard to sustain. And so um, took a break from that. And now I'm just like casually kind of dating anyone that has the audacity to approach <laughs> me. But they're getting younger and younger. I mean, it's wild. So thank you to all the bad moms out there who created boys that think it's a good idea to date me. <laughs> so how young are you willing to go? <laughs> I mean, no younger than, I mean, this, the guy that I'm kind of casually hanging out with is like 28, almost 29, you know? But I, I tend to think sometimes men age backwards. It's like, <laughs> it's weird. All the guys I know in LA that are 50 are like, you know, wearing Yeezys that you're not allowed, don't touch, you know, like, <laughs> I, you know, and are kind of 
still like figuring out what they want to do and still producing an imaginary movie that's never going to happen. So I don't know. Like the guys that I know in their 20s that I've met seem way more emotionally mature than a lot of the older guys. So I try to like, you know, the same way. I don't, I, I wouldn't want a guy to be ageist with me. That's our kind of biggest pet peeve with men. I'm trying to not be ageist with men in terms of like thinking someone's not capable of something just because they're younger or thinking someone is capable of something just because they're older. Because I've been burned a lot with going, oh, I'm going to date older guys. They're going to be more serious about commitment. That's just not always true. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of younger guys out there that are so maxed out on porn. They kind of are like their kink is like monogamy at this point. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> Like, they've already seen every woman naked, so now their kink is seeing, like, the same woman naked over and over again. You know, so I think that, like, I try to kind of, I always forget about my blind spot with age because I always give older people more credit than they deserve, assuming that just because they're older, they've actually learned from their mistakes or have some kind of wisdom, and then assuming all young people are dumb and don't know anything. But I think young people now have access to so much more wisdom than they ever had. You know, this is also... I think an interesting observation, which is that a lot of younger guys now that are listening to podcasts, that are listening to whether it's Joe Rogan or, you know, Tiger Belly, Rich Roll, Lex Friedman, Andrew Huberman, like these younger guys have access to the wisdom of, of all these older guys. It's basically like recreating like the elders that are supposed to pass on wisdom to younger generations that a lot of people's parents don't have time to pass on. And I meet a lot of younger guys who are, you know, listening to, you know, Bert Kreischer and Tom Segura and all these guys talk about the challenges of marriage and the challenge and the, the downsides of infidelity and the neurochemical benefits of being in a relationship and how you live longer if you're in a happy relationship, and, you know, kind of thing. And maybe conversely, they're also listening to, you know, women on podcasts more and hearing their side of of it and you know I think they, it's making a lot of guys want to be better men yeah. and uh, helping them mature younger you know some of them not some not all yeah. you know so I think that sort of age is like doesn't have a ton to do with someone's character it depends on what you've been through what your ancestral trauma is the adversity in your life and what you've chosen to learn from it so I try to kind of like stay out of the age thing yeah I always wanted to be 25 and divorced so I could have said I have that. I have one shattered relationship behind me. It's a good to get that out of the way, yeah. maybe. I mean, you've definitely been through a lot. I mean, I think you don't. You're and you're definitely don't. Um, you're, you don't have a shortage of life experience. I might say that <laughs> for better or for worse. You know, but I think that also, like, you're someone that has been, I think, judged unfairly in a lot of ways. And I think that that's a really good thing going into relationships because I'm sure your capacity for forgiveness and for, like, two things can be true at once is probably yeah. going to make it so, you know, because everyone's fucked up. Everyone's done dumb shit and everyone's made mistakes. And it gets really hard sometimes to allow yourself to love someone or open your heart to someone who has a complicated past. Yeah. But, you know, I had a, a really complicated past. So I am like, let me just hear this person out. Let me, let me not judge them by their past. Let me judge them by the, what they've chosen to do with the opportunity to glean wisdom and character. Yeah. You know? Well, I'm glad you um, agreed to speak to me today. I'm and... into you. Oh, and <laughs> tattoos are a plus. It means they're not afraid of commitment. <laughs> Any last words? You know what I like to do? And you should think of, of a thing. I like to end every podcast with like a 
what I end every podcast with one like sign off, like one signature thing. Of, yeah. like, it's not like, a, you know, I'm not at all in shame about like branding or creating a catchphrase or whatever. Mine isn't what I wanted it to be. Bop, bop, bop. I didn't want that. <laughs> it just happened. Um, but like, you know, there's this guy. Have you ever heard of a guy named Bob Barker? This is the guy who creates jail uniforms. You would not believe that. He. Hold on. <laughs> That's Bob Barker. So Bob Barker, yeah. No way. I actually have The Price is Right host. Yes. Oh my gosh. Exactly him. You're going to die. That was wild. Here. What color are they? Are they like That's the, the staff that they gave me. And look at them. These are pretty cute. Like, these would, like, some New York store with nine... This is the most normcore-ass shit. Like, you would wear these. The coolest guy in Brooklyn would totally wear these. <laughs> so, this is Corecraft, I'm not sure, but Bob, Bob Barker... Um, Corecraft. Corecraft. So Bob, Bob Barker is there, too. <laughs> Wait, Bob Barker... Bob Barker creates all the jail uniforms. The one from For the Price is Right, not the host. Yes, that's him. Wait, yes. what? <laughs> Hold on. The guy that hosted The Price is Right. Yes, exactly. Bob him. Barker. He designed the prison uniform. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Bob Barker Company is the top choice for clothing and uniforms among America's jails, prisons, mental health, and rehab facilities. Yep. <laughs> Wait, Bob Barker. Let me, I need a picture. Wait, hold on. This is blowing my mind. I'm so jealous that you have the most interesting podcast that's ever existed. <laughs> I helped with that, by the way. Wait, what the fuck? Actually, let me see. I have some other one, too. Bob, no, hold on. How do we know that it's the guy? It's the same Bob Barker that was the host of The Price Is Right. I think we uh, leave it at mystery unsolved. Yeah, <laughs> dude, you'll find out the, on the next podcast <laughs> if that was the end. Bob Barker promo code Anna Delvey. That's wild as shit. But Bob Barker, in addition to being a, uh, a prison uh, uniform uh, mogul, he also hosted this show called The Price Is Right, which is like this game show in America. I'm sure you've seen it or whatever. And like at the end, he would always say. And good night, and, and don't forget, spay and neuter your pets. Which was like, growing up, I was like, why is this guy telling me, talking to me, to, telling me to cut off my dog's balls? I don't know what that, but it gets in your head. It's something yeah. that like, I say things, you know, at the end that are just meaningful to me of like, how can I make a tiny little change in the world if I even can? And I always say, don't ride elephants because it's abuse to elephants. And when I was in my twenties, I was a dumb whore who went to Thailand and rode an elephant. And I didn't know when I looked down and I saw the chains and I just was like too ignorant to know the difference. And so I just picked, you know, I'm big into animal welfare, so I say don't ride elephants, but I just think that um, having something at the end that's just sort of a thing that's your, that means something to you that doesn't, you don't have to have it now, but that ends up being like a merch brand and being on shirts and just something that's like only your fans, you know, in the, this club that you're going to create. Because when you start a podcast, you're basically starting a cult. So, and you know, you're the cult leader and just sort of like something that's <laughs> just, you know, it can be an inside joke between you and your fans. It can be something that's meaningful to you. I, I, I think that that's cool. I think I was, um, like, in the episodes I recorded before, I said, don't be afraid to break the rules, but I don't know, I may change it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's kind of corny, but... 
<laughs> I love. I don't think it's corny at all. I think it's cool. I think it's cool. I think it's on brand. <laughs> don't be afraid to like go for what you want, and if you make a mistake, make a mistake. I love that. <laughs> A lot of rules are really fucking dumb. Right. And they're designed to keep the people in power in power and the people that are rich, rich. <laughs> right, well, thank you so much, Whitney. Um, where do we follow you? Um, <laughs> um, AnnaDelvey.com. Um, <laughs> um, I'm just Whitney Cummings, everything. Whitney Cummings, my new chief of staff. <laughs> chief of what's that? <laughs> I don't have a chief of staff anymore. She, <laughs> she full-time works for you. What? What? She just, she just assigned you the role. Of, oh, I run, yeah, no, I'm anadelvey.com <laughs> slash, uh, what is it? Team. <laughs> I'm your flower delivery girl. I'm her personal florist at this point. <laughs> I brought flowers today. Um, I'm also so excited about your merch. You're gonna have like a genius merch line too. <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you. <laughs> you and Bob Barker can collab. On some jail right. uniforms, I'm dude. Right now. <laughs> Jailbreak the rules. <laughs> Thank you so much, Whitney. Thank you so much for agreeing and coming on my podcast and taking your time. I so appreciate all your dating advice. And then one day on your next one, because I want to listen to it selfishly, you should do one about your skin because your skin is fucking wild. Oh, thank you. It's incredible. <laughs> it's jail. You should try it. <laughs> I think I might just stick to prematurely aging, but thanks for that. But nobody, that's the best kept secret. Just jail. It's just jail, yeah. What, skin. tears is really good for your skin? Just constant stream of tears? No, just like being locked in like into a cold, dark room. with. Yeah, you're basically in cryo-freeze. Like yes. everyone's like sitting in ice baths now. You're just in one all the time. There's no sound, no alcohol, no smoke. Yeah, no between go yeah, growing up in Russia and being in prison, I mean, you basically are always in cryo-freeze. That's one of that's what they don't tell you when you get arrested. I like to keep things emotionally cold, <laughs> and that has not worked wonders for me. Okay, thank Sick. you so much, Whitney. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Don't forget to break the rules. <laughs> don't forget to break the rules. <laughs> so cute. Was that one? Don't be afraid to. Sorry. What was it? I already fucked up your catchphrase. Whitney is hilarious. We actually recorded for over four hours. It ended up being just a hang. She made all of our team feel great and enjoy every second of it. You can actually listen to another part of this talk on her own podcast called Good For You. It's admirable how she steered a course for not only herself, but other female comedians, writers, and actors. She's also navigated her fair share of controversies and done it apparently seamlessly. The Anna Delvey Show is a reunion audio and audio app production. The show is produced by Sean Glass, sound supervised and co-produced by John Eckhaus. <coughs> Reunion audio?